go there. Um, but we're going to turn here in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been studying, um, really, the relationship between Christ and the church, uh, the relationship between um, the wives and the husbands, and then the husbands and the wives. And today, we're going to actually discuss the family relationship. We're going to start with the children. And regardless of how old or young you are, um, you're still someone's child. Uh, you're still someone's child. You have parents. You didn't just magically appear on this earth. You had somebody that was your parent. Um, and the different experiences that we have, whether they're good parents or, or what we'd say terrible parents, um, should not define whether, whether we look at Scripture for what it says. Um, and our experiences should not define whether what Scripture tells us is the proper application um, is what we should follow or not. And I think the difference with many of us in how we apply Scripture is really based on our experiences. And because we, we tend to look at the world exp experientially, we tend to also guide the way we live our lives sometimes in applying God's Word experientially as well. So based on what we have gone through, we react contrary to that, or sometimes in parallel with that. So we really have to take a, a serious look at our lives and really take a look at God's Word and realize that God has certain principles in there for each and every one of us to follow, regardless of whether we are two years old or whether we're 60, or whether we're even older than that. It doesn't matter. The point is, is God has certain principles for each and every one of us to follow, regardless of our demographic, if you will. Um, the, starting in verse number 1 in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children in wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Those verses, I think, are really key to understanding the family unit. So today we're going to start... Um, in the family relationship part one, we're going to deal with the children's relationship to the parents. So I know some of the children are in junior church. Um, I want to ask and encourage those of you that are, uh, that are parents, um, at some point have them listen to this because I think Paul addresses small children right in this text. So um, I know we have junior church, we have Sunday school, but I think sometimes um, there are things that should be addressed even from the pulpit that deal with little children. Uh, because if you remember correctly, did Christ actually bring the children near to him and deal with them specifically too. He did, right? So that is also something for us important to, to realize and, and appreciate about the Word of God is that it doesn't really matter our age group. God deals with every single one of us, particularly if in the church. So we're not, you know, it's not like, okay, there's this outcast group when it comes to Christ and those that are believers and the only chosen few that will only get to experience everything. There is a relationship that God wants with each and every single one of us if we're, if we're a part of his church. Every single one of us. And the, different, the, the difference between being close to Christ and not being close to Christ is real on our end, not his. Because if we are his child, if we believed and trusted in Christ, if we're part of the church, if you will, then it's on us to pursue that relationship with God. He's already pursued that relationship with you. He's already done everything he had to do. There's nothing else that God has to do, ultimately, in order to pursue you more. He's already done that, and he continues to do that if you're his child. God has a greater love for us than we will ever have for him. He always will. So Ephesians chapter 6 specifically states um, two things in the first four verses. First, God's expectation from children, verses 1 through 3. And second, God's expectations from parents, verse 4. And then we'll cross-reference different texts of Scripture and really take the time uh, to piece this all together. Paul addresses the church in Ephesus and directly speaks to the children 
as a way of reiterating truth from the Old Testament. So the question for us is, was the church of Ephesus mainly Jewish believers or Gentile believers? And not everybody at once. Gentiles, Gentiles absolutely. So, the Gentile believers, do you think they would be as familiar with the Old Testament? No. So what Paul does here is he quotes the Old Testament and brings certain things up. He says, question for us is, when mainly Gentiles are referred to here by Paul, and they don't have the familiarity with the Old Testament, do you think it'd be important for Paul to reiterate this point to a church that just recently started? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Paul is really telling us a few things specifically. Paul is taking the time to specifically address even children in the church, almost bringing them in to hear the Word of God. Paul is taking his cue from Christ and addressing even those who many times are forgotten in our society. Even forgotten sometimes in our churches because we kind of have sometimes segmented things. Okay, the youth do does their thing here, the, the children do their thing here. And what Paul's doing is he's literally writing a letter to the church and going, I'm going to talk to children right now. And the idea really is small children. He's not talking to adults um, in a technical sense, but he does talk about honoring, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. I think we need to be careful that we don't think that children understand principles of Scripture at an early age. They can. And I think Scripture is filled with examples of teaching small children the importance of the Word of God. In fact, Scripture commands fathers, we'll, we'll get to this next week, um, to really talk about those things on the way. Look, talk about the things of Scripture in everyday life. And sadly, what happens with a lot of believers is our children hear the Word of God more from their Sunday school teacher or junior, uh, or your junior church than they do from us as parents. And that's not the way it should be. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way it's, that's not biblical. It's not. Your children, my children, at an early age can understand certain truths. The word used is technon, as a child. In fact, my son just recently memorized a verse for Sparks, Proverbs 20:11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work is good or whether it is right, pure or whether it's right, or whether it is right. So even a child, and, and, I, and I sat him down, we talked about this in a little more depth. So I asked him, I said, Luke, what is this verse talking about? And the first, first response is, to do what's right. <laughs> and I said, no, Luke, what is the verse saying? What, what, what is the, the verse that you're memorizing saying? And then we, we broke it down, and he, you know, he says, oh, so what we do shows us who we are. Exactly. Even a child is known by his doings. Even a child is known by what they do. And that goes the same for us as adults as we get older. Scripture is doing that to emphasize that even at an early age, we can tell what kind of person that person is. Does that make sense? That makes sense? Here's the thing that's important, is as we look at Scripture, and particularly what Paul's dealing with here, children are taught to be taught in obedience from an early age. And here's, here's what's interesting about this text, and I really didn't notice it before until I was working through this text. The word obey here um, is stronger than submit that we previously talked about with the wife. I, I know I was going to get to this later on, but when I was studying the, the whole, the whole uh, text in Ephesians 5 through the submission part of um, masters and slaves, uh, slaves and masters, and also uh, children and parents, I noticed there's a different word here. And the idea here is a stronger sense of obedience. Submit where is 
different in the sense that you actually get to counteract possibly what is being stated. Here, this is more of a, you need to obey. Plain, simple terms, you don't really need to redefine the term and find like 30 different meanings for it, it really means obey. You know, the Greek really means obey. Like, plain and simple, there's no, let me see how else I can explain it. When you tell your children to obey, what do you expect? Obedience, right? I mean, there's not like, let me define this for you, Junior. Let me define obedience for you. It means do what I say, correct? And when God expects that from us as children, what do you think he means? Obey. There's, I think sometimes we overcomplicate the Bible and make it like some like crazy concept out there that we've really never thought of before. Well, no, some things are very clear. They're very simple. And if we look at the scripture, we'll see, hey, you know what? This is exactly what Paul means. He means nothing else by it. He's not trying to add something else to the text. But here's what's important. This is where I think we'll really... Uh, impressed upon your hearts that Paul makes a statement here that I think is really interesting. He goes, what does he say in verse 1? Children, obey your parents and the Lord. For what? For this is right. Okay, so he, he actually gives you reasons why you should obey. He doesn't leave you hanging on what obedience is, but he tells you the reasons why you should. Okay? So number one, the reason is that this is right. Number two, because of God's word. What, how do I know that? He quotes scripture. What does he do right there? Honor your father and your mother, which is what? The first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So he actually quotes scripture. And then number three is because of the Lord Jesus. Children, obey your parents in what? The Lord. So those three reasons he gives you why you should obey, why children should obey their parents. So the first one is because this is right. It is almost as if Paul assumes that culture understands that this is the thing that should be done. That the Ephesian church knows that this is correct. And I have an article this morning I really wanted to read. Um, and to be honest with you, I was, um, you almost couldn't time it better than what happened this week with all the craziness going on in our culture. But the title of the article, it's written by Al Mohler. Um, it's back in 2009, but it's very applicable to today because we still are in the same time frame here. Parents, obey your children. The title of the article is Parents, Obey Your Children. Question mark. Now listen to what he says. Literary critic Lionel Trilling once referred to the dark and bloody crossroads where literature and politics meet. In reality, almost all literature is political in some sense. Oddly enough, the most explicitly subversive literature is often presented to the very youngest, very youngest among us, our children. And listen to what he says. This is a secular person, mind you. Far too many parents seem not to notice. And Daniel Zalowski, who actually is referring to the Defiant Ones, it's an essay that he published, argues that picture books for children now reflect a world turned upside down in terms of relationship between parent and child. As he explains, in the newest picture books for children, the children are solidly in charge. You have any question what's going on in our culture today? Here you go. In this sense, the books we read to our children reflect the cultural values of our age. Inescapably, these narratives for children reveal far more than a storyline. Indeed, the books tell us more than what we want to hear about the tenor of our times. Zelowski explains, like the novel or the sitcom, the picture book records shifts in domestic life. Newspaper-burrowing fathers have been replaced by eager, if bumbling, diaper changers. Similarly, the stern disciplinarians of the past, 
in Robert McClowski books, Parents Instruct Children Not to Cry, have largely vanished. The parents in today's stories suffer the same diminution in authority felt by parents reading them aloud an hour past bedtime. The typical adult in a contemporary picture book is harried and befuddled, scurrying to fulfill a child's wishes and then hesitantly drawing the line. Zelowowski's insight into the revelatory character of books for children is truly important. As he knows, today's parents have indeed experienced a diminution in authority that is unprecedented in human history. Increasingly, it is children who have the upper hand in the power equation. Parents who have been drinking deeply from the wells of contemporary secular parenting advice have largely become passive facilitators in the lives of their children. As Zalowski argues, today's young parents learn that there are many things they must never do to their willful young child. Spank, scold, bestow frequent praise, criticize, plead, withhold affection, take away toys, model angry emotions, intimidate, bargain, nag. In other words, nearly all forms of discipline appear morally suspect. Modern experts like Alfie Cohn now goes so far as to argue that rewarding children for good behavior is virtually as injurious to the child as punishing children for negative behavior. Arguing against what he calls conditional parenting, Cohn came out against everything from the timeout to positive reinforcement. Now listen to this. Conditional parenting isn't limited to old school authoritarians. Some people who wouldn't dream of spanking choose instead to discipline their young children by forcibly isolating them, a tactic we prefer to call timeout. Conversely, positive reinforcement teaches children that they are loved and lovable only when they do whatever we decide is a good job. Today's parents, advised by the likes of Cohn, are themselves the children and grandchildren of a generation raised by, by parents who abandoned traditional parenting for the advice of Dr. Benjamin Spock. The war against parental authority gained momentum throughout the 20th century. Now today's children are often virtually undisciplined. Their parents have abandoned the central role of disciplinarian due to distraction, ideological intimidation, cultural pressure, and sheer confusion. And listen to this last statement. It was not always this way. As Zalowski observes, the parents in picture books used to be tougher. Parents used to set the rules, and the children were expected to obey. Disobedient children were corrected and, gasp, even punished. The new literature for children presents a world in which parents are more likely to obey their children. So, you're probably asking, those of you that have already raised your kids, some of you that are still raising your children, where am I wrong, possibly? You see, today's Christian parents must push hard against the prevailing secular wisdom if they're to be faithful. You do realize that some of the things you're borrowing from the world and you're arguing against in culture right now, your children may very well follow in those steps as they grow older. You realize that? The very things that you're upset at culture for right now, you may very well be implementing in your home. It's a shocker, but as always, historically proven, the church is just a few steps behind the world constantly. The secular world accepts certain things. Oh, the church is slowly accepting 
sexual promiscuity in the church. The church is slowly accepting different doctrines that are false in the church because they don't want to be bearers of truth. The Bible makes clear, and simple observation affirms, that children desperately need discipline from their parents. Furthermore, the Bible reveals that faithful and wise parenting discipline teaches, corrects, chastens, rewards, and punishes the child as a demonstration of true love and parental responsibility. And I think this is an important part from Al Mohler and what he makes a statement on this. Furthermore, the Bible straightforwardly presents a model of the family in which the parents possess an authority over their children that is non-negotiable and essential for the health and happiness of the entire family. Indeed, the faithful parent is the one who rightly exercises and fulfills that authority. In our current cultural context, there are few collisions more direct and determinate than that between the secular and biblical concepts of the role of parents. So Paul's first statement he makes is because this is right. This is the right thing to do. If you do any historical study, you'll see that culturally, children obeyed their parents in many societies. And it was very stern on this. Japanese still to this day are very stern on this. Very stern in their society. You disrespect a parent, a lot of people around them will make sure that you know that you're doing something that is not expected in that culture. And I think the sad part is, is a lot of Christians don't do this anymore. We don't make this a point in our families. And sadly, what seems to be right is no longer right to us. So Paul starts off by saying, this is right, verse number one. Number two, God's word. Verse two, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. In fact, he actually goes back to Exodus 20 and verse 12 and quotes this and says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which your Lord, the Lord your God, is giving you. It's interesting, Paul actually changes the last part of the text and states that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You know, I have to say, I have, I have a hard time watching and analyzing the way culture is going and constantly checking myself and making sure that I'm applying Scripture correctly on this principle. And just some texts that I think are important for our children to understand and the fact that Paul quotes scripture to tell us that that's important in order to relate this truth to our children. Do not leave it to a simple statement, well, I'm the parent. Go back to the word of God and show your children that because the Bible is the foundation for our family, this is why you should obey. Because if all you're going to do is go off the first thing, which is this is right, you're going to have a different definition based on what the culture is saying today. Does that make sense? You're going to have a different definition. If you don't go to the second one, which states that God's word specifically tells us as a reason why we should obey. Here's a few verses on this. Colossians 3.20. 
Here's one for you as children. Those of you that grew up in the home, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Here's another one. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Here's one that's still applicable today to those of us that are children and have parents still alive. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. You're still a child. Some of you still have parents. This didn't change just because you got out of the house. No, you don't have to obey the rules in the same sense anymore, but you still need to honor them. We're going to get to that later. Here's another reiteration of the commandment in Deuteronomy. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. There's a blessing attached to children that obey their parents and honor their parents. And you'll see that promised a few times in Scripture of longevity of life. And no, it's not, oh, because they didn't obey, then their life would be short. And I know that's the argument a lot of people use. Um, ultimately, most parents would not want to have their life, their life taken. Okay, Most parents love their children. The idea there is, is there's a blessing attached to honoring your parents. There's a blessing attached to obeying your, your parents. And listen to this right here. Deuteronomy 27, 16. Cursed is he who dishonors his father and mother, and all the people shall say amen. There's cursing. Scripture promises that. And yes, in there it was very literal. You were put to death. But Scripture promises blessing and cursing based on how you treat your parents. And it doesn't matter if you're 30, like I am, my 30s, 50, 60, how you honor and dishonor your parents still matters to God, even if they are not alive today. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. I think one of the difficulties of applying some of the scripture is that we don't always agree with our parents, correct? As we grow older, there's certain things that we see differently than they do. We don't have exactly the same standards that they do on some things. Well, the word there for child is small child. And as you look throughout scripture, when it talks about honoring, that is referring to throughout life. When you're in, under your parents' authority, you are to obey, particularly if you live in their house. And I hope you're not living in their house after 30-something. Okay, I really hope that's not the case. You see a very clear distinction of what's going on in our culture for that reason. You have children that really, in a real sense, dishonor their parents by not doing what God has called them to do. Their mom and dad are telling them they need to work. They don't work. Their mom and dad tell them they need to do certain things around the house to be productive in the home, and they don't do those simple things. And we're not talking about the spiritual aspect of it that we apply in the Christian home. I'm talking about culture in large. Do you not see a reflection of our culture very clearly seen just in the protests the last couple of days? Welcome to the millennial generation. Welcome. 
This is what parenting in our culture has produced, ladies and gentlemen. This is precisely what it's produced. And I would argue and, and ask and plead with you, do not take for granted the responsibility you've been given as a parent. Do not assume that this will not happen to me. This only happens to other parents. Oh, it could very well happen to us. Especially if we take our cue from culture on how to raise our children and neglect the Bible. In fact, if you don't even take the time to read the Bible with your family, don't expect them to get a different version of what they should obey than what the culture teaches them. I should say how they should obey. Culture is teaching your children more than many times we are as parents. They are taught more through the sitcoms they, sitcoms they watch, the jokes that they listen to, the things that they read, the media they consume every day. And I hate to break it to you, some of the anti-authority music that our children listen to, we are not supposed to be shocked by why they have the response that they do in our culture. Those are not small things to guide our children in the right ways that they should be consuming media in today's society. That is not legalism, folks. There's a difference between legalism, which says everything that media presents is wrong, and sifting through it biblically and saying, okay, this is wicked, and you should not be consuming this. This is fine, but be aware of their secular mentality. You need to be discerning as parents. And the sad part is our children are not discerning because the parents have done no work in this area. The parents have not taken the time to say, here's what's wrong with what you're doing here. And going back to scripture and pointing out why it's wrong. What they're doing is, well, I want to raise a good, morally, um, good moral son or daughter, so I'm just going to tell them it's bad for them. Your children need more reasons than that. Your children need more reasons than to say, I don't want someone pregnant in my house. They need more reasons than that, parents. They need God's word. And if you are not showing them, constantly teaching them God's word, don't expect them to obey God's word. And as you are a child of God, you are displaying to them what obedience looks like. And like I said, we're going to get to some of this more specifically next week when we deal with the fathers and mothers and cross-reference different sections. Number three... The third reason that Paul gives for us to obey, children to obey their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do you see what I said earlier? That if you're going to define right by culture, you're going to get it wrong. If you're going to define right by in the Lord, you'll get it right. If you define culture if you let culture define what's right, you'll get it wrong every time. Oh, you'll get some good truths, but they're going to be mixed with falsehood. But if you want to get it right, then you definitely need to make sure that it's in the Lord. And what I mean by that? John Chrysostom, the ancient patriarch of Constantinople, addressed this issue, noting that Paul's qualification that youths obey parents in the Lord, here's what he says. They, parents, are to be obeyed in whatever way they are not offending against God. Let me say that again. 
They, parents, are to be obeyed in whatever way they are not offending against God. Now, in a practical sense, do we mess up as adults, as parents? We do. Would you say that everything that you've told your children they need to do was always a biblical reason? Probably not. You ever acted in the flesh? Ever lashed out? Ever, in a real sense, said something that really was actually going to damage your child long term? And I think it's important that he points this out. It's in whatever way that we're not offending the Lord. Now, let's get technical for a second. In your home and in my home, we'll have different things that we expect from our children around the house, correct? If you don't have a fireplace, you don't have to worry about it. If you have a fireplace, the children might have to bring the wood in. I mean, there's different responsibilities as far as regular, everyday work. What I think should be common with all of us as believers, though, is that we all take the time around the Word of God as families. And I believe that to be biblical. I see that all the way back in Genesis. We always praise Israel for what God has done through them. Let's copy them in this section right there that says that we should be doing worship at home. We should be gathering around the Word at home. We should talk about the Word of God at home. It shouldn't be a Sunday morning only thing. And believe me, I know it's difficult. It's difficult when you don't have time in the week. You're very busy. You have a lot of things going on. It's very difficult, but there's no excuse. There's no excuse for finding the time. And sadly, we as parents find the time for the wrong things, for the wrong reasons. We'll find time for them to watch that little cartoon series that they need to watch. We'll find time for them to go hang out and do stuff with their friends. We'll find time for them to make sure they do their schoolwork. And yet, for some reason, the Bible slips our mind every time. Why is that the case in Christian homes? Why is it that we prioritize everything, and then the very thing that should matter the most in our families is actually the last thing on our mind every week? I think part of that, I'm going to go out on a limb here, is that we're so used to Scripture being preached so passionately here at this church that what we think is good on Sunday morning will last us a while. You know, we, uh, we get our buffet and we're good for a few days. You know, we get our nice little Sunday school lesson, we get the morning worship service, we get the Islam study. I mean, we are just filled with knowledge. And how many of us wake up Monday morning, getting back to the grind, and frustrated again? Anybody go through that? Here you are, you're like, oh, I got this, you know. And, and, and this is how I, 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 I see myself sometimes. We'll sing a certain song, or I hear a certain part of a sermon or message, and I go, that's right, Lord, I'm going to be ready for you. And then the next day, I'm just frustrated with everything going on in my life. The Lord Jesus should be priority for you as a parent if you want your children to obey. And the only way that your children would understand the reason behind obedience and the way that God calls for it 
is if they see you loving Christ the way you should. Like I said, we're going to get into some of these specifics. So, we dealt with specifically children, and like I said, I really want to encourage those of you that have smaller children, have them listen to at least a portion of this. And as a parent, if there's things that you need to repent of, repent. God knows we fail in this. He knows we constantly fail in these areas. But he has grace that we tend to always preach about but never apply in our lives. And sadly, we believe all the lies that say, well, you know what, I've tried this before, I can't do it again. I failed 50 times in this area already. Tried to start my devotions, I failed again. Get back up. And no, don't just go, I've got to race through it again to catch up. No. Take your time and just start from where you just fell. You don't want to just race through it. You want to take the time to get to know your God. Getting to know God is not supposed to be something where you just do a five-minute snippet of a chapter of the Bible so you quickly say you spent your time with God. That is not spending time with God. That's the modern Christian culture. If that's the way we spent time with our spouses or our children, we're pathetic. We really are. So the question goes on, I want to state this point right here. Tim Keller makes this point. He says, it's respect for parents that is the basis for every other respect and every other kind of authority. So, in closing, doesn't matter what age you are. It could be third grade, two years old, 25, 30, 50, 60, it doesn't matter. What are some ways that you can do the last portion of the text where it says to honor your parents. To honor your parents. Here are a few practical ways. Number one, you take the time to reminisce of time spent together and what was delivered to you by your parents. It's one way to honor them. How do you know that? Well, what do we do every month around the Lord's table? Is that a way of honoring God? You better believe that's a way of honoring God. Take the time to reminisce and stop from your crazy world that constantly vies for your attention and turn off that TV show and think back, reminisce of the times that you had with your parents. Honor them in that. Number two, for those of you that still have parents alive, Take time to spend with them. You honor God by spending time in his word and talking to him in prayer. Take time with your parents. Honor them. If your parents are still alive, do this. Those of you that have parents that have passed away, you know exactly what you wish you had back. Do you not? Just another moment with mom or dad. Take the time to honor your parents and spend time with them. Number three, here's a difficult one. Some of you may not have had the best parents. But one thing that God calls you to is forgiving them. For some, this is harder than others. I understand that. I totally understand that. For some, it is harder than others. 
and even if your parents aren't alive today, are you harboring still that bitterness? That angst over something that they did or something they forgot to do? Take time to forgive them. Every parent has failed their child. You are most like Christ when you forgive your parents. You may have had the parent that was too strict. You may have had the parent that checked out. Regardless, you are to forgive them. And in forgiving them, you honor them. Number four. Here's one that I think sometimes is missed, particularly in our culture, because we think we know we have it all figured out. Listen to the words of wisdom from your parents. Your parents have great words of wisdom and at times regret that would save you some heartache. You don't have to go through all the mistakes that they went through. In fact, Scripture is filled with verses encouraging you to listen to your parents on that. So you don't go down that path. Scripture tells you to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Your parents will say things sometimes that you just don't agree with or you used to not agree with. How many of you that are older... I mean, I'm saying anything, anyone that's 40 and older, do you have certain things that you never really agree with your parents until later on in life, like a lot later on in life? Raise your hand. Anybody? Like, you didn't agree with it for quite some time. But as you got older, made more and more sense why they said that. Be quick to hear from your parents and not ration your response to them if they're still alive today. Honor them with your words. I think one thing that's missing in our culture, and I really want to emphasize this before we close, is the lack of a dignity and respect for our parents, even when they failed us. When you speak of your parents, what do others think? We need to have a respect for our parents to where we honor them when we're around others. And even if there are certain things that, you know what, yeah, mom or dad that just never got this right. Not everybody in the world needs to know that. They don't. You can honor their memory. You can honor them while they're living by not spilling the beans on everything that they did wrong. And I think the saddest part is, is we as believers know that Christ has cleansed us and offered us that kind of forgiveness, yet we're constantly bringing up the flaws and faults of our parents to others. Do you see how this is correlated? Your relationship with God, your relationship to your parents is connected. In fact, I don't know how many of you know this, but in the Old Testament, you know how we divide the first four dealing with our relationship with God and the last six dealing with our relationship with others, loving God and loving our neighbor? The Jews divide it five and five. They included the honoring parents in our relationship with God. I don't know if you knew this. You can research me on this. I'm telling you, I was really stunned when I read that. But they connected that in their relationship with God because they realized that parents are a representation of God in the child's life. And the last one, number five, help your parents out when they're in need. They provided for you as you were growing up. Do the same for them. There's actually a text in Scripture in 1 Timothy 5 specifically stating this. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household 
and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. The saddest thing that has hit our culture is the neglect of parents as they get older. The saddest thing in our culture in America is the neglect of parents as they get older. They sacrificed for their children so many years and the children just leave them be. Oh, they'll pay a little bit to make sure mom and dad are out of their hair. Oh, they'll take care of them over there at a distance. But they've lost honor and respect for their parents. And sadly, too many children are so self-absorbed today that they always want mom and dad to give to them even when mom and dad have nothing in the bank. Take your cue from scripture and stop taking it from culture. Stop. Culture's messing this up and you're watching it right now unraveling in the media. Learn from that. That's not right. Honor your parents. Doesn't matter what your age is. Honor your parents. That's what God expects, not what culture expects. That's what God expects. And if your parents are in a need, if they can't provide for something, you help them out if you have the ability to. After all, some of us have a better job than our parents do sometimes. And it's a shame that as children succeed in their life, they still ask for their parents' help when they could help them. I think I hit that one hard enough. I know what it means for my parents, having raised six kids and paying for all of them to go to Christian school. Believe me, I add the numbers up as administrator at Grace Academy, and believe me, I know. It's no small price. You know what? As we close this morning, I want to ask you to take these five to heart. Take time to reminisce of your parents. Take time to spend with your parents who are still alive today. Forgive them. They might not deserve it, but they, they need your forgiveness. God calls you to forgive. Number four, listen to the words of wisdom. And five, help your parents out if they are the ones in need. Don't be so selfish, so self-absorbed, thinking it's all about you. It's not. Your parents sacrificed on your behalf for so many years, the least you could do is help them out when they're in need as well. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. Father, we thank you for our parents. We appreciate so much the heart that they have for us. I ask that you would help us to honor them. And if we haven't taken the time to show them the respect that they deserve, that we would help us repent in these areas. Father, we know that our culture is going down the wrong path. In fact, your word says that in the last times, children will be disobedient to parents. We see that all around us. Father, help us to be countercultural in this church. Help us to take this seriously that we would shine the light to the culture on how parenting should be done, how honoring of parents should be done. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.